Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in an authentic, connected dialogue. I'm your host, Danielle Kingstrom. This is episode 12, and this is part two of a three-part series that features my friend, Cordell Winrow. On part one, Cordell and I delved into the topic of radical forgiveness and why society struggles with accepting Brant Jean's call to forgiveness for to Amber Geiger after the ruling that sentenced her to 10 years in prison for murdering Botham Jean. In this episode, we continue on along the lines of practicing Christianity the right way, the acceptable way, and we talk about what would happen if we started walking the talk of the grace that we claim to practice. Cordell introduces an idea about lies that stick and what happens when we put Christ at the center. We then move into a discussion regarding the difference between theology and orthopraxy. Then we delve into some ideas regarding alchemy and how Christianity is magic. Take a listen to the preview from last week's episode to give you a reminder of where the discussion went. And then enjoy part two with Cordell Winrow. Why Brant would go so far, it's because he's actually living out his belief to the degree that is necessary. And a lot of people are not liking that because it actually pulls them on the carpet personally for not living to that standard because he's not living to a higher standard he's living to the actual standard i think i heard someone say this on on some podcast I was listening to, and he was of, of the liberal side, but he said something like, does it feel like we're about to have another racial divide in our country? And I thought, is this the catalyst? Is this going to be what it is? We're now we're pitting grace against race. Well, you got to think, they've been trying to pit everything against race. The, the undercurrent is a nation divided will fall. Mm. So how do you divide a nation? The one thing that I do see happening is if people actually got together, what kind of power would be be released? For instance, what kind of power would be released if white Christians, black Christians, Mexican Christians, all ethnic groups of Christians were actually on one accord? What kind of crazy things would we begin to see happen if people took forgiveness seriously if we took the ministry of reconciliation seriously if we took loving your neighbor as yourself seriously if we took sharing and having things in common seriously what kind of crazy transformations would we see in our society if we saw people within the christian faith actually begin to live out christianity the way that jesus lived it out what kind of impacts would you see on marriage relationships? What kind of impacts would you see within the educational system, the medical system? What kind of changes would you see within our media? What kind of changes would happen within 
the food industry. I mean, there's so much scripturally that Christians can look at and see what happens when the people of God actually get together and actually do the thing. What happens? Well, first of all, if I think I said this when we were talking earlier too. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I remember saying something, but people would be out of jobs if, honestly, I think people like have built up an infrastructure to profit off of and create businesses out of racial divides and and just and and, and every type of d- divide in this country. And so I can't help but wonder if we did unite and if we did start seeing each other as you know brother and sister. And we did start utilizing the power of Christ that rests on all of us. Would people be out of jobs? Would commentators have anything to say, you know, 24 hours a day with with additional tweets and and, and crawls scrolling across our screens? You know what I mean? I mean, I want to say that, yes, they would still have things to say. But I also want to say that if we were a people that were united, even if they had things to say, whoop-de-doo people wouldn't be buying into it as much if we were actually united. It's like this. Uh, A friend of mine told me, (laughs) if you get hit by a lie and it sticks, that's a problem. But if you get hit by a lie and it bounces off, no one's going to believe it. But if it sticks, everybody's going to believe it. Yeah. So even if commentators were spewing out nonsense if we were actually living as brother and sister those things would bounce off people would see it bouncing off and they'd be like yeah that just doesn't fit no i know my brother better than you know him i've been in relationship with him i see him on a day-to-day that thing that you just said about him it ain't what it is yeah or how about this you get caught in a compromising situation yeah he did something stupid but he's still my family and I still love him. That doesn't change who he is. He made a mistake and we're going to work together to make it right. We're going to work together to get him built back up. So that doesn't fit with what and who he is. That's a completely different conversation when we can back each other up to the hilt like that, because it gives no room for interference. It gives no room for roots of bitterness and lies and slanders to grow. But that's only if Christians can actually get their stuff together and actually work together and be together like the family that they're called to be. Well, there's 50,000 denominations to get rid of first. I I don't even think that it's necessary to get rid of 50,000 denominations. The one thing that has to happen is that Christ has to become the center. Because within any household, there is a disagreement on how to tie shoes. True. There's a disagreement on how to cook eggs. Mm-hmm. There's a disagreement on whether or not the toilet paper should be on the front side or on the back side. There's a disagreement about that? I thought there was a general rule about that. There, there's still a disagreement <laughs> about that. So we <gasps> okay. don't necessarily have to agree on everything, but the center has to be the focal point. And that's the most important thing because when the center is the focal point, our differences of opinions on certain things become moot points because at the end of the day, Is it bringing us towards the centerpiece? Yes. All right. Then go with it. We may not agree on it, but I mean, it's bringing people to the center. So that's the common denominator, the center. And so I think people are so worried about their denominational preferences that they've forgotten the center point. 
Yeah, their identities and their denomination, their identity is not in Christ. And if any, if everybody lines up their identity with Christ and centers themselves with a Christ self, then yeah, the denominations become irrelevant. Right. You can be Calvinist and I can be Trinitarian or uh, Arminian, but the fact of the matter is, if Christ is the focal point, then whether I believe in predestination or not, it doesn't matter. True. Like Christ is, you know, a lot of people would argue and say, but it does matter. Your theology matters because your approach to life matters because the way you forgive people matters. So I would go so far to say this: God is not as much concerned at, uh, about your theology as He is about your orthopraxy. The study of God is great, but how you live it is more important than how you study it. True, very true. So you can have doctorates in theology and still have crap orthopraxy. You can have tons of theology on why you're supposed to love one another and still suck at loving people. Mm. Do I want the theology of a PhD person that knows all about love, or do I want the orthopraxy of someone that actually lives love on a day-to-day? Live and love out loud. Okay. So Mm -hmm. the study of God is not as important as the actual living out of said belief. Yeah. So- whether you believe in predestination or not, the fact of the matter is, if you love people, your predestination and predetermination of who gets into heaven or not is really of a moot importance. Because at the end of the day, you're supposed to be doing one thing, loving people. Whether I'm a Trinitarian or not, whether I'm a Calvinist or not, whether I believe in spiritual gifts or not, at the end of the day, if the main thing is the main thing, guess what? It really doesn't matter if I use spiritual gifts or not. It really doesn't matter if I believe in predestination or not. It really doesn't matter all of these things that we get hung up on. What matters is, are people getting to see Christ for who he is? Are people being loved as Christ loves? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then do what you do, (laughs) boo-boo. Do what you do. You do you. You do you. People are getting loved. People are seeing Jesus. That's all we need. But if people are not, then that's when we need to change our approach. Does that make sense? Totally. We make big deals out of things that really aren't big deals. I agree. Like your denomination does not determine whether someone's going to heaven or hell. I believe that still rests on the person of Jesus Christ. And in some cases, it's like it doesn't matter because that's future and we're in the present. And Am I seeing you as a person? Or are you seeing me as a person? Am I meeting you in, as 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 a person that is loved? And are you doing the same? Theology is not a determination of anything <laughs> important other than, hey, I've studied this material. So I know that it says this. But I mean, you can know that it says something and not be living it. And that really does nobody any good. Yeah, I have a particular love-hate relationship for those high and mighty about translation. And I'm like, you get so caught up, you know, over defending your translations, but you forget the translations are the practices that you're supposed to do. You don't just defend the words, you defend the practices by, you know, acting out the practices. I mean, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I had acquaintances that were Bible scholars and and translators and just some of the most narrow-minded people in the world. Because if you dare mess with a word and push it too far over to 
I don't know, ambiguity, then they're going to get so upset, but they're failing to see like, okay, but this is for a wider message that's encompassing of Christ's messaging and it's how we extend love. And it's like, nope, don't touch that. Don't change that. Leave that. And it doesn't matter. The words matter. No, the, the practice matters. <laughs> Sacred cows are meant to be burned and torched mm. to the ground. But the practice, and I was sharing this with a friend of mine, and, you know, for your listeners and for your audience, this is a personal thing. So take it for what it is. Take it with a grain of salt. If it fits you, great. If it doesn't, it's all good. I was having a small Bible study. And one of the things that came to me was that it's in the job description of the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth, right? Mm-hmm. That's his job description. But one thing that it failed to say was that when he leads you into all truth, it's not just going to be instantaneous because it doesn't say that. It says it's gonna, he's going to lead you into all truth. And what came to me when I was you know, kind of pondering that is the idea of process. And you and I have talked about process quite a bit. But process means it's a developmental journey. And so when I was understanding that he will lead you into all truth, it's a developmental understanding which solidifies truth truth within your being. I'll put this in terms of fitness. When you are working on the technique of doing a squat, if you do that technique right enough times, it becomes a part of you. You can coach that movement in your sleep. You can identify what's wrong within everybody else's movements because it's become so much a part of you. That's orthopraxy. And so when he's developing truth within us, it's actually for the express purpose that when we're walking out in our day-to-day lives, this truth is expressed from our being, not simply from our lips. Mm. So it's the difference between I have sound theology and I can explain how this thing works versus my whole being exudes this truth. And so no matter what I do, no matter what I say, you feel and hear this truth coming out of me because it's become so much a part of me. Yeah, That's the difference between theology and orthopraxy. Truth should not simply come from our lips because we have perfect theology. Truth should come from our being because we are living this thing out. When we say that we know God in scripture, that has the connotation of deep levels of intimacy. Am I correct? Yes. So in order to have a deep level of intimacy with something, you have to experience a said thing, right? Yeah. So would you say after having some children with your husband that you would know a few things about how your husband works and what makes him tick in certain ways? Sure do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know exactly what wakes him up, <laughs> what makes him <laughs> quite happy and, and fun to be around for yeah. those 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. Okay, maybe five. Who knows? (laughs) Corey, I'm sorry. I was trying to give you more props. But apparently Daniel was like. (laughs) Um, No, I was just going to say 20 minutes. That's not even long enough for foreplay. What are you talking about? Oh, see, Corey, there you go. You've got an hour. No minute, man. You've got an hour. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But in in that space, you know Corey. So. You also know when things are off with Corey because of that intimate knowing of him. Mm-hmm. You have an experience of Corey that nobody else can have. So you have a working knowledge of Corey 
an orthopractic knowledge of Corey. So if yeah. somebody walks in the door and says, Corey done shot somebody, your orthopractic knowledge of Corey is going to be like, are you out of your damn mind? <laughs> yeah. Are we talking about the same Corey? I know Corey. Ooh. So tell, give me the rundown how this happened. And if they gave you the rundown of how it happened, you'd be able to instantly say, yeah, that wasn't Corey. Yeah. Why? Because you have an orthopractic knowledge of Corey. You have a working knowledge, experiential knowledge of who Corey is. Mm -hmm. So there are things that within our experience cause us to become a working, walking, theological discussion of certain attributes and aspects of what it means to walk with God. Mm, I'm processing it all. That was good. There are things in my life that I can expound upon, not because of my theology, but because I have intimate knowledge of walking with God. There are things that there's no way I would have been able to know simply by reading scripture about the character and the nature of God unless I actually experience those things walking with him. Yes. There's no way that I carry the level of knowledge and wisdom without actually having been with him. Yeah. There's no way that I can give the amount of grace. And it's not just a vocal grace. The way that people describe it to me is they don't understand how I can be so genuinely seeing them even after all the stupid things that they do. It's because I have an experiential knowledge, an experience of God giving me grace to such a capacity that I can't help but extend that to people when they meet me. It's a, I love it's that. a part of who I am. You can't, I can't divorce that grace from myself anymore because it's one in the same part of my being. So to meet me is to meet an aspect of grace that says who you are is okay, what you've done doesn't change the fact that you are an amazing person and we get through this together. That's what you get when you meet. That's not a theological understanding. That it comes from a practical experience with getting grace to such a high level capacity. Yeah. Theology, I think, is just the articulation of the experience, but I think it's just re-articulated over and over again without actual experience. Yeah. Without the experience... A lot of these things, though they may be true, are void of life. Yeah, void of anecdote. Mm -hmm. And when something doesn't have life, it doesn't bring about change. When it doesn't carry the nutrients needed, it will not bring about a transformation on the inside. Hence, the difference between having organically grown fruit and vegetables versus having processed canned fruits and vegetables. If you eat a green bean from the ground versus eat a canned green bean, you're going to taste the difference immediately. Yeah. And why are you going to taste the difference? The nutrients. Yep, the nutrients are lacking. Interesting. Experience is like the nutrients that give theology its oomph. Well, but I mean, do you think theology has an oomph? I mean, I've read a lot of theological works. From what I've read, I still feel like it's lacking. I feel like there isn't an oomph in theology. I feel like theology just, like I said, articulates the experience, and you won't actually know what that theology means until you've lived it. You can be told, this is what it feels like when you extend grace, but unless you've actually extended grace, no matter how articulate and extravagant and verbose the words are, 
you're never going to know it until you feel it. So, so my only pushback would be this. Have there been times when you've read a writing from somebody that has dragged you into an experience of that thing? Yeah. It's put words to an experience I've already had. Okay. Or maybe that I, I have proceeding the reading. Okay. So in that space, I would say the theology actually had life to it, but it brought about a, what's the, what's the best way to put it? Um, let me rephrase this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are certain pieces of writing and this is why I will not read everybody's stuff. You'll read my stuff though, yeah, right? Because when I read your stuff, <laughs> I get the orthopractic parts of what you're writing. Orthopraxy for the win. Right. But that orthopractic part is coming from the space of the study of. So there is a space that if something is part of your orthopraxy, whether you are living and not saying anything to anybody or you're speaking about it. So if you're speaking about the experience, it's still giving life because it's coming from that orthopractic spot. Like I said, I can write from the space of giving grace and cause people to feel what grace feels like. Yeah, It's not because of anything other than it's part of my being. So anything that comes from my being automatically comes through whatever I do. Mm. So I can theologically talk about grace and still cause people to gain nutrients from that theological conversation about grace. Not because of anything other than grace is part of my DNA. So the mere fact of me talking about grace passes off that orthopractic feeling to, to the theological discussion. It's why certain people can talk about certain things and it's almost like you have a revelatory moment where it's like, oh my God, this makes sense. And so I, I love what you're saying here and I'm going to throw a word down and I don't, I'm not familiar with it all that much, but is that alchemy? <laughs> Are you familiar Paulo with it? Quello. It's one of my favorites. Okay. And so is that alchemy, that experience that we feel from our being that's in our DNA, we have the ability to, one writer can articulate it and, and send that message out because it's part of that person's DNA. But since we're all interconnected, it's a part of all of our DNA. And so sometimes it takes a theological articulation for us to understand something we've already experienced because it's also a part of our DNA. So before I answer that question, I want to actually give a definition to alchemy. Okay, that's cool. Um, and it is defined as the medieval for- forerunner of chemistry based on the supposed transformation of matter. It was concerned particularly with the attempts to convert base metals into gold or find a universal elixir. Another definition is a seemingly magical process of transformation, creation, or combination. Hmm. Yeah, I like that definition. I like that definition too. So yeah, let's use it in that context. In that context of a seemingly magical process of transformation, creation, and combination, I would say that yes, it is a an offshoot of alchemy. Mm. Okay. okay. I, I would I would say that yes, alchemy is a real thing when you're able to transform my experience into a theological thought process, which then creates an experience or a transformative experience for you as the hearer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be in my estimation, a 
process of alchemy. All righty then. Um, well, there you go, listeners. We've introduced a new topic and we even defined it for you. You're welcome. If we go even further, like scripture says, we are transformed by the what? Renewing of our mind. Isn't that a alchemic process? I believe it is. Cordial. All right. So scripture even introduces alchemy, but it does. It never uses the word alchemy. But as we understand the word alchemy, it's a process of transformation, creation, and combination. Absolutely. Scripture speaks of alchemy in its purest form. Yeah. And so, like, when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind or the word that comes out of our mouth begins to transform the atmosphere around us, we hear this kind of talk spoken in a lot of charismatic circles. We got to change the atmosphere, create an atmosphere. You you hear those things, right? Yeah. That would be an alchemical process. Yeah. We're we're doing something at a at a structural level that is within our words. We mm. we know that words have power, that there is substance behind words. Yes. There is a substance behind an utterance. And we use that substance in, in our utterance to make physical transformations happen in the world around us. I believe that's one of the reasons why scripture says, speak those things that be not as though they were. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Things like this that people don't really consider that would function with the idea of alchemy, just not in the way that people understand alchemy as a heathenistic (laughs) practice. Yeah, witchcraft. Witchcraft, yeah. Yeah. Pagan. But it really, it's not. If we just use the definition that is there, it is not a pagan thing. It just talks about the process of transformation, creation, and combination. But for a lot of people, it sounds like magic. It does. It sounds mystical. And I'm like, yeah. And and I think, really? You've never thought the Christ was magical? I've I've thought that since I was a little kid. I mean, if I could say these prayers to something I can't even see— and my prayers can be answered, and I mean, not always immediately. I mean, sometimes it takes like 25 years. But is that not magic? I mean, by magic's definition, you made something appear out of nowhere or be answered from I don't even know where. You know, I'm almost 40, and I hear people going, people are trying to make Christianity look like magic. It's not magic. There's no healing. It doesn't have that kind of mystical power. And I'm like, What? Yes, it does. That's what I've always believed. Why are you telling me differently? Well, I mean, just getting into the first definition, that alchemy is the medieval forerunner of chemistry. Okay, if we look at chemistry as a whole, what does chemistry do? It changes one substance to another substance. Would you say that it's alchemy? Yeah. Okay. It also transforms the state of matter into a different state of matter. Am I correct? Yeah. So the process of water freezing... We know scientifically that water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, right? But that process of that transformation is magical. Yeah. We don't know why it works. We know it works. And why does it have to be 32 degrees? Because if water freezes at 32 degrees, but say aluminum turns solid at or goes into a solid at what temperature? You know what I mean? It's not yeah. it's not straight across the board. Yeah. So there are things, there are processes that are happening that Chemistry is very scientific. It's a science, right? But if we go back a ways, chemistry <laughs> for a lot of people was magical. Yeah. But because we're now so far removed from that time period, chemistry has become very normal. 
it's normalized into a very empirical way of thinking. But we have to remember when chemistry first came out, it was magic. You can turn this state of liquid into a gas, or you can turn this state of liquid into a solid. What What do you mean? This is water. It is, it is cold. But how is that ice cube the same thing as water? Exactly. How is that water vapor the same thing as water? Now we know that water vapor is just that molecules broken up. Their bonds are broken up. Ice is just water with all its bonds formed. It's simple as that, right? Yes. But... But... Spooky words, witchy words, pagan words. Yeah, It's just the use of a word elicits a response. And a lot of Christians are so, so indoctrinated that certain words are evil. Well, yeah, but you have that everywhere too. I mean, there's trigger words, there's code words, there's hidden meaning words. I mean, that's everywhere, all over in every atmosphere and avenue of society. So I'm going to... Speak to magic real quick. Okay. Because that seems to be the next place we're going. We did alchemy, so we might as well throw magic in there, right? We might as well. I practiced Wicca for three years, so let's do it. Okay, so one of the definitions of magic is the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. Supernatural forces. Supernatural. So let's hone in on supernatural forces, okay? Used in magic or working by magic, having or apparently having supernatural powers. So those are those are some definitions, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the supernatural has always been a part of the Christian experience. Whether you like it or not, it's always been a part of the Christian experience. All the way from Abraham to Christ. Magic has been there. Yeah. The supernatural has been there. People freak out when you say magic because they have an idea of something conjured in their minds. Because they have the idea of sorcery, witchcraft, necromancy, all of that stuff in their in their mm-hmm. minds, right? And so magic is a buzzkill word. But let's just throw some things out there. Christians practice magic too. Especially Tis true. Especially by definition of the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. Has anybody yeah. ever talked about prophecy? Yeah. I believe uh, scripture also says, speak those things that be not as though they were. Yeah. Mm. Influencing hmm. events that are not by our words to have a supernatural outcome. Sounds like magic. Sounds like magic. Sounds it magical. magical, right? I agree. Prayer, another one of those supernatural things that influences the world around us. Yeah, we're conjuring an entity of a God we can't prove exists. And asking for supernatural help, correct? Exactly. Healing cancer, helping me walk, stuff like that. And yeah. we see proof of these things happening on a consistent basis. That's why we praise in Jesus right? all the time. So all that to say, the, the word magic is not the defining aspect of the supernatural. It's simply a word that describes an event or, or, or something that's going on. Alchemy is the same thing. It's just a word that's used to describe. Yeah. And we use alchemy and magic to describe lots of things. Like the moment we saw our our spouse, it was like magic. It was a magic. I mean, I've described that as how I met my husband. It was, there's no other word to describe it. Exactly. You, you know, we we use the word magic because it was supernatural. It was like we were drawn from across the casino and there was just, I couldn't leave without talking to him. And, and that's magic. I mean, what else is it? 
somebody would say that was spiritual in nature. Well, the spiritual is magical. Isn't that supernatural? supernatural. <laughs> the spiritual is supernatural. And so we have to come to grips with sometimes these words, even though we don't like using them because we've been ingrained with magic is evil. It's yeah. not. The word itself is not. The word is just a descriptor of something that we have no way of really espousing. So we see, again, magic in scripture, but we also see negative examples of sorcery and witchcraft and stuff in in, in scripture. And I think that's what what causes people to shy away from using that word because they don't want to become those people that were destroyed for practicing said things. But using the word doesn't mean that you're practicing said things. But here today, gone tomorrow, it is what it is. It's a buzzword, alchemy, buzzword, magic. Buzzword. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna research alchemy actually. Um, it because it's been a word that keeps popping up in my purview, and I literally write it down every time I come across it, and then I never go back to it. So now I'm mm-hmm. going to. Let's see. Uh, we talked about the prophetic and prophecy, so let's just go there with this whole alchemy and magic side of things. Okay. Prophecy for a lot of people is about foretelling the future, right? It's about mm-hmm. foretelling events. It's about showing people something that is not yet here that is also a possibility. It mm-hmm. sets into motion things that would not typically be set into motion had it not been spoken out. So for instance, we're going to just use you as a as a person, Danielle, and um, don't, don't worry. It's just an example. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, use me. So Got if it. somebody came up to say, tell you it's like yeah you know what i see in you the ability to craft words in such a way that opens the eyes of people to the biases that they have that's prophetic yeah and they are basically unlocking your ability to see something that you hadn't seen before or if somebody says hey daniel i don't understand why but i see you writing books you have the pen of a ready writer you're able to write and you've never written before that's legitimately unlocking a door and transforming something within your sphere of influence that opens something up for you to be able to walk into yeah totally changes my mentality that, that would be akin to magic because there was a power through the words that begin to influence the next course of events in your life. Yeah. It happens all the time. It does. I think there are so many people that prophesy on for others that help create and unlock, just as you said. I think that's something we're, we're called to do. I absolutely believe it. As soon as you say, oh yeah, that was magic. It's like, uh, 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 can't do that. Oh my God, you can't do that. You can't use prophecy and magic. And yeah. so it's pretty much the same damn thing. That's true. It is like invoking. If you understand a little bit about magic and you were a Wiccan for three years, you understand the importance of invoking the name of whatever deity yes. it is. that. You, well, no, not deities. Well, I, I, I say I deity, mean, but I mean, invoking the name of whatever spiritual medium that you're using. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's prevalent in all, and in, 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 I won't say all because I don't know all, but in most religions, I mean, there's po- you, there's power in the words. That's why we, that's why in, in, in Buddhism, you chant. That's why, that's why in Christianity, we say our prayers out loud. I'm not in full agreement of saying my prayers out loud in front of other people. But I mean, when I am praying, I'm, I'm saying them out loud, especially the things that I really want 
to have power. We have to say it, and then we have to also internalize it as a as a message we replay over and over in our minds yep. too. I mean, there's yeah, that kind of power is magic, and magic is antichrist. But we, if we think in these terms, and we're just using a simple definition, all of a sudden it takes a lot of the stigma away. Yeah. Now, does that mean I'm saying, hey, go out and try sorcery and witchcraft and try to burn people with fire using your mind? No, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but do try Wicca because it really opened my eyes and made me made me appreciate nature more, made me appreciate my environment more, made me understand the balance that was necessary between people and nature. Well, I mean, let's go f- so far to say this, that scripture talks about all of creation that's true sings glory to god so if all of creation is praising god there has to be something that causes us to begin to take nature seriously and that is alchemy again because nature nature is so amazing you would be very very hard pressed to convince me that there was no intentional design about how our ecosystems work Oh, totally agree. And just yeah, w- everything that the, that our ecosystems provide for us. I was I'm I'm going to sidetrack here for a minute. I like to do weird experiments with my kids because I homeschool. And one of the things that we do is we always buy some crazy foreign fruit that we've never heard of and we've never had. That section was very limited the last time we went to the grocery store. So they had aloe leaves, very large aloe leaves. And the kids were kind of like intrigued by them. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. And so I make it a science experiment. We cut it open and we talk about it. And we talk about the viscosity of the aloe gel and and what it feels like. And we touch it and we play with it. And I talk about, you know, where it grows. And, you know, this particular aloe plant was from Mexico. And why does it grow in Mexico? And does it grow in Iraq? And does it grow in China? And why doesn't it grow in Minnesota? And we talk about that. But more than that, the one thing I always try and express to my children, whenever we're doing any kind of assignment or curriculum based on science or nature is understanding specifically with plant life and ecosystem is that God provided every kind of resource and nutrient that we would need, I believe, in in a plant form. And so for the aloe, you know, obviously aloes are great for burns. They're they're great for scrapes. They they're good for for antiseptic use and for antibacterial use. And then you know, hipsters and and the millennials love putting it in their smoothies. And so they said, you know, we can cut open one and put it in our smoothie, and we'll get some sort of nutrients, I guess, maybe out of it. But just that kind of interrelation in plant life benefits us, provides us with nutrients and resources, a part of God's plan. Anyway, that was my little rabbit trail off of that. I think that rabbit trail is very fitting for for obvious reasons, but all of creation, like there there is so much transformation and mysterious mystical things that happens within nature. We don't look at as mysterious, mystical, or supernatural anymore because We've been ingrained with, oh, this is how it works because we've got chemistry, because we've got biology, because we have all these sciences that have sought to try to figure out how things these things work. But we forget at one time, all of these things were mystical, magical, supernatural events that were happening. Yeah. And so there are things even now, the use of Wi-Fi, the use of... Um, the internet, the use of uh, podcasting equipment like we're using right now, 
is magical. Oh yeah. We don't look at it as magical, but if you were to put this back even a hundred years, 50 years, people would think that we were demon possessed because you're hearing voices from where you're in California, they're in Minnesota and you're hearing their voice. No, that's demonic. That, 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 that's supernatural. We can't do that. I mean, if you actually Mm. describe the process of our voices being transmitted via radio waves or via microwaves, or it's going to sound pretty freakily magical and supernatural. Yeah. Those are magical instances that we don't look at as magical because we have gotten sophisticated. Well, and I, I think another thing is that we don't we don't see the magic in everything that we experience either because I don't think I don't think we remember how to be awe inspired by anything anymore. We just understand how everything works now. And so because we understand how it works, we failed to remember how it should work with Mm -hmm. us and how it should work for us. And instead, we're just like, what is it going to do for me? How's it going to entertain me? How's it going to convenience me? Right. And because of those things, we miss and we forget the wonder of it all. Mm hmm. And we take it all for granted. What would happen if we lost our ability to use all of the electronic equipment that we have? Oh my God, people would go insane. They would, absolutely. They would forget how to live. They would. And they would forget how to live because they've been so brought up in a, dare I say it, they've been brought up in a supernatural society. Mm -hmm. Wow. Magic. Hold on, Daniel. Let's let's pause real quick and quick and and actually like kind of talk through that. we've grown up in a magical society in a supernatural society where the supernatural is so normal that we don't even realize that it's there. Mm, Yeah. Christians should be especially sensitive to how supernatural things are right now. I mean, the use of medical technology to heal various diseases. It's become so commonplace that we've lost the awe and wonder of actually curing a disease. But I remember distinctly in in biblical scripture that healing was one of the main ways that miracles manifested. Mm, healing. Yeah. Healing was one of the main ways that miracles manifested. We're at a space in time where we can give people new limbs without batting an eye. You remember when you amputated someone and they could die from the amputation? Yeah. We're at a space where we can amputate people and they don't die. We can give them prosthetic limbs and they can feel like they have their limbs back. But that's normal and commonplace. Yeah, we've been inoculated from the wonder. Exactly. And so now we're at a space where we need more. Like we need bigger miracles. We need bigger healings because we got inoculated to the wonder of people getting healed because it's become so every day. This is just what, how it happens. Now, if you're in a modality like massage therapy, you're in a modality like um, trigger point or acupuncture or any of those things, the wonder is still actually there in those places because those are more physically oriented. So you get to touch and feel the healing happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. So practitioners of Eastern medicine, like acupuncture, acupressure, reflexology, massage therapy, they actually get a more hands-on view of seeing people get healed. Yeah. Magically. Magically. 
you mean all I got to do is press this muscle like this and the muscle's going to relax and their headache's going to go away? Connection Wow. Okay, so there's that. We live in a day and age where we can communicate across long distances instantaneously. Remember when it took days to get your letter read and then get a response? sent a letter out Mm -hmm. by mail truck and you had to wait days in order to get that mail back. And now we can do that instantaneously to the point of, I could actually turn on my phone, have a conversation with you almost face to face, despite the fact that we are thousands of miles away from each other. I can watch a show on a little magic box and millions of people can watch that same show on the little magic box without having to be in the same room or plugged into or anything plugged into anything. I remember when, I mean, Wi-Fi was magical to me. I remember when that came out and it was like, I, I still can't wrap my head around how bandwidth works right. and how data works. I really don't care how it works. It's freaking magic. Right. Um, I think of all, like, I'm starting to think of all these things and I'm like, man, the world we live in is much more magical than we realize, but we've been inoculated to it. Like you said, Because it's become common every day. But we've just come to expect magic and not call it magic and call it convenience or call it modern medicine or call it science or call it technology. But the fact of the matter is, it's magic. I think we don't see things as magic, though, because we don't ask questions about anything anymore either. Oh, that's a whole other topic to get into. Absolutely. I know. We we don't ask questions, and because we don't ask questions, we don't seek questions answers. And because we're not seeking answers, we just take things at face value. I'm told that because they formulated this medicine, I should take it and my headache's going to be gone. Why should I take that medicine? What's in the medicine? I was just going to say, yeah, but we don't ask questions. We just take things. Doctors, doctors just give us things here. Take this. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. What is it? doesn't matter. Just take it. You'll be good. Well, you're not supposed to ask because you're not a doctor and you wouldn't understand. Right. And we see it on a day-to-day basis. We see the supernatural in effect on a day-to-day basis, but because, again, I say this, the bar is set so high, it's going to take something completely out of the norm to get us to realize we are living in the age of magic. And how at the same time can we reject the idea of incorporating magical terminology into a Christian perspective, but fail to acknowledge that the idea that Jesus the Christ is coming back fully human or in fully form someday isn't magical. Yeah. He died. He he was crucified on a cross and he stabbed in the side with a spear and and then like his whole body disappeared and resurrected and then what is that? And here's the bigger thing. I think the world around us actually can better relate to things like magic than supernatural or spiritual. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because, yeah, we've been inundated with magical fantasy. The word magic resonates more so with people because of things like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. Magic resonates with a lot more people than, say, spiritually minded or supernatural things because actually supernatural has much more of a negative connotation than I first realized within our culture today, because the supernatural has a lot to do with demons, uh, demonology, 
um, devils and whatnot. When we think of things spiritually minded and, and spiritual things, you you still get that connotation of demonic. Every once in a while, you'll get you know kind of like the light side with the angelic. But our culture today more closely identifies with magic, and I think it's one of the things that we as Christians could do better in our ability to communicate because if we're talking about the supernatural, we might as well talk about magic. We might as well describe how the world we live in is more magical than we first realized and more supernatural than we first realized. Yeah, We can't get away from the idea that the world around us is magical. Wi-Fi signals are magical. They've transformed our reality as a whole. They've influenced our connectedness as a whole on a regular basis, but we don't have the eyes to see. No. I don't and I don't think we oh, want no, to. Not at all. No, because that would I don't know, that would take away from the seriousness of everything. Why would it take away from the seriousness of everything though? Well, because I think we're becoming a society that's hell-bent on being serious and taking everything so seriously and sanitizing things. And I think that we don't – because I think if we're willing to see the supernatural, that means we also have to see the humor and comedy in things. And then that also means that we have to see that sometimes the tragedy can be a gift. And that's like a side of serious that we don't want to delve into. Okay, I see you. I see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> that also, again, that takes into personal responsibility again, which we, we talk about this quite a bit, but personal responsibility with things like healing. Now, the idea of healing being on the forefront of everybody's mind, that it is magical, that it is supernatural, that it is happening, it means that we have healers available to us. And that if people aren't getting healed, it's not necessarily because you are, aren't praying hard enough, but it might be because you have overlooked the healing that's available to you mm. tangibly. Yeah, because healing has to look like this and it can't look like this plus this and maybe something else because healing has to look like a pill. Exactly. Because healing has to look like just this one remedy. And healing, I know too many Christians who are practitioners of healing arts, like massage therapy, acupuncture, acupressure, um, psychology, any other modality of therapy. Those are all healing modalities. And a lot of people don't want to look at them as healing modalities because what they want is the miraculous once and done. But what I see happening is a lot of ongoing the process of healing, if that makes sense. And so we're at this juncture where we want things to look a certain way and we've conditioned ourselves to look for those things while omitting what's actually happening and what is actually available to us right now. And so healing practitioners don't value what they're doing as healing for the most part. And I'm specifically talking mm. about massage therapists, acupuncturists, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, they don't see their modality as a healing modality. Mm, they just see it as their practice and their methodology to both doing something that they believe is in pursuit of their passion and also something that puts money in their exactly. bank account. So yeah. if we were to revive the mystical aspects of what it is to live in our culture, we may see uh, a rise of 
the understanding of miracles happening on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. And then we might have um, an attitude of gratitude. We just might. Hmm. Because we live in a society that is not grateful for really anything. But again, they feel entitled to what it is that they're supposed to have. But without that understanding of these things are happening and you ought to be grateful, I mean, we lose sight of everything. And I'm specifically talking about Christians. Like, I have no room to judge anyone who is not a part of the faith community of Christianity. Because the faith community of Christianity is where my belief systems are rooted in. So I have a lot more room to talk about Christians than I do about anyone who is not a Christian. I can't even Hmm. judge people who are not Christians because they don't carry the same set of beliefs that I do. They don't follow the same set of rules. They don't follow the same sets of ideas. So if Christianity has a set Uh of rules, ideas, and belief systems, and people aren't espoused to them, I can't be mad at them for not espousing to those belief systems and adhering to those beliefs. Huh. Interesting. I usually just equally judge everybody, (laughs) but I never, (laughs) I do, but I never looked at it like that. Like that's an interesting uh, way to discern how you admonish people. You're like, well, if you're not down with this whole Christian persuasion, then okay, do your thing. But look over here, we Christians. So let's talk about this. I like that approach. I mean, uh, but Jesus did that, right. right? I mean, so many people were like, well, Jesus was kind of like a Pharisee and that's why he criticized the Pharisees and or similarly just because he was aware of and brought up in and accustomed to the understanding of the religion, he was able to criticize it the way he did from the inside right. out. And that's the thing. If you're on the inside of something, you have more room to criticize it because you understand the inner workings of said thing. If you're on the outside of it, you have no room because you don't understand the inner workings. It's like someone that has never been a part of the fitness industry or being inside of a big gym, trying to criticize what goes on in a big gym. Mm. You have no room to do it because you've never worked as a fitness professional within the big gym. So you don't know the types of things that we have to overcome. That reminds me of um, something that Brene Brown has said. If you're not in the arena with me, you have no room to judge. A special thank you to Forever Sound for their musical clip, Sexy, which you hear within the podcast. For more information on how to connect with me, seek me out on social media, Facebook at Danielle Kingstrom, Twitter at DKingstrom, Instagram at DKingstrom. For more of my work, please check me out on patreon.com slash Danielle Kingstrom. You'll be able to see more of the content I create, excerpts from my upcoming manuscript and fleshed, making a monogamous relationship real, and you can also support my work. As always, thank you for listening, and until next time, take care.